Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. <laughs> What's up, I'm Pete. And we are uh, talking about comics. What? What? It just sounds like you're barely making it, man. You're like, what's up, everybody? This I is the fucking stack. Oh, God. Week 52 of our comic book <laughs> reviews. <laughs> we actually have a ton of titles queued up for you today. Kicking it off with a big one from DC Comics. Rorschach, number one, written by Tom King and art by Jorge Fornes. Uh, this is a highly anticipated slash highly dreaded, I think, a comic book. Uh, highly it is dreaded? Highly dreaded. It's following up on Watchmen, which is always a dicey proposition. Okay, I see what In you're this saying book, there. Okay. We get introduced to a very Manchurian candidate type scenario as a... A Rorschach, I don't want to say the Rorschach, but a Rorschach and somebody else try to assassinate a presidential candidate. Maybe there's an investigator who's looking into it. Uh, And by the end, spoiler, three, two, one. But it seems like this assassin may be none other than Walter Kovacs, a.k.a. Rorschach himself. That out of the way, what'd you think about this book, Pete? What was your takeaway? What were your thoughts? Well, I think it did a great job of grabbing the reader. Like, it starts off with Rorschach kind of getting murdered, which is interesting jumping on point. Uh, and then you kind of, it's a classic kind of Tom King storytelling where you're getting little pieces of information as you go along, but he does it so well. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I, I you know, I'm a, you know, it's weird to say I'm a fan of Rorschach, but there are aspects of Rorschach that I like. Um, and uh, I love the where's your gun moment. I thought that was really awesome. I mean, it's great art, interesting story. Um, I, I think it's just kind of like the election balloons and the stuff with everything that's happening right now. I think it's a very well-timed book and uh, I'm I'm on board, but you know. I was going to be on board when you had a Rorschach number one. So I'm not upset about it. I'm very much enjoying it, and I'm looking forward to more. Jorge Fornes' art, and I believe it's Dave Stewart's colors, are great throughout the book. Just very, very good across the board. Uh, Clearly delineate what's happening in the past versus what happens in the present. Um, There are a couple of things that I think are kind of fascinating about this book. The biggest one is that Tom King has so clearly been influenced by Watchmen and Alan Moore down to his panel grids, the way that he lays them out. But he purposefully avoids the nine panel grid here in this book to the point where there's one page that I think is like a 12 panel grid or maybe a 15 panel grid or something like that. Um, But 
he never goes into that basic Watchmen breakdown of the page at any point, which almost seems like a no-brainer for somebody who has built a lot of their career on building his work off of what Alan Moore did. Um, So that's curious to me. The other thing that's curious to me is the choice of setting, because it, it very purposely feels like the Manchurian candidate meets all the president's men down to the feathered hair that everybody has and the fashion they're wearing. It seems like it's set in the 70s, but Watchmen itself was set in the 1980s. So when is this set is my question. This is supposed to be now, but have fashions come around to the 70s again? What's going yeah. on? Are they only doing it because it's supposed to feel like a 70s conspiracy thriller? There's something about that and the lack of clarity there in the world, though I'm sure King, because he's a meticulous writer, has thought through it and we'll find out eventually. I'm just not quite sure with this first issue. There's a wall there for me in terms of where it's set. Okay. Well, it's a weird thing to get hung up on, but I I understand what you're saying, but it's just weird to me because Tom King is kind of famous for, you're going to have to keep reading to figure out, you know, the story. Uh, Sure. But I think, I think that's important because we're dealing with Watchmen and we're dealing with an ongoing world. And we know this is continuing. There are, Things that are teased here and thrown into the background, whether it's through billboards or advertisements or other things that let us know, okay, this is kind of where the world got to from 1985 to here. And interestingly, some of the things, whether it's coincidence or not, dovetail with Watchmen, the TV series. So that only raises further questions in my mind of... Is this in continuity with the comic book? Is it in continuity with the TV show? Is it in continuity with this both? Is his own continuity? And I know that's not the only thing I should be thinking about. I know I should be concentrating on the story, which, taken on its own, totally divorced from Watchmen, is a good conspiracy thriller story. But those are the sort of things that I do think are important to understand in some sense when you're saying here... This is a continuation of Watchmen. Yeah, just you kind of sound like me when we were talking about Tom King's vision. Mm-hmm. You know, I was hung up on one little thing, and you guys are like, hey, get no, over it. I think it. this is a big thing, though. I think this is a big, important yeah. thing. Yeah. It I will is be explained. An thing. Sure, but it will be explained. All Tom right. King I, is piecemealing. I'm willing. It's a gorgeous comic book, like the best of Before Watchmen, which was a dicey project to begin with but still had some good comics come out of it. Yeah, it did. This is a dicey project that still seems like a good comic, so I'm happy to follow it along, but I have questions. My question is, do you know if this is monthly or weekly? Because the election's coming up, and I need need to know. know I I I assume it's monthly. Oh, man, we're in trouble. All right, let's move on then to the second comic we're going to talk about, Commanders in Crisis, number one from Image Comics, written by Steve Orlando, art by David's Tinto. Uh, We talked to Steve about this on the live show a couple of weeks back, and it is basically him doing a crisis comic book, but with totally original characters. Um, What do you think? Did it pay off on the premise that he sold us on, on the pitch, Pete? I I think it did. I think I'm I'm on... I'm in. I'm in. This is very interesting. This is a cool team. 
Uh, it's fun to kind of see his take on a big crossover event like this. Um, it's fantastic art. It's really, uh, I like the team that is kind of in this thing. And there's like a cool kind of like moment, superhero moment where, you know, uh, you had the kiss that was great. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. I think these characters are interesting enough that like, even if I don't, it's not like a Avengers crossover event where I know every single person, uh, I got enough here to go by and, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see where this goes. It seems like a, he did a good job of selling it and I'm in. What's really fascinating about this to me is that it avoids any of the archetypes I expected going in that we would get a Superman, a Wonder Woman, a Batman, etc. We don't get any of that. These are completely, as far as I can tell, original characters. There's no analogs from any particular universe. And that only makes Steve Orlando's job harder going into this. But it does make it more interesting to read because their powers are so weird and so interesting. Um And the hook of it, which he talked about on the show, this is the reveal at the end of the issue. So if you don't want to know, turn away. But I still think it's fair to talk about because he mentioned it to us is uh, the death of empathy, which is going to be an interesting thing to see going forward. The other detail that is so weird, but such an interesting specific thing is all the members of the team in the book are from different parallel universes where they were all presidents. President, yeah. Which is very weird. Commander in crisis, yeah. Commanders in crisis, they are commanders. They were all like the first Latinx president, the first woman Mm -hmm. president, the first etc., president. Uh, But it's a bunch of presidents with superpowers fighting a crisis, which is... Such a bizarre detail, but it makes so much sense for the title. Uh, and yeah, I'm definitely on board. I think like he set up a weird, interesting, very different world here. Yeah, and it's even like when you get the kind of splash page introduction of the superheroes, it's like prize fighter, as strong as the crowd hopes he is. I was like, what? <laughs> and then it's like sawbones, action surgeon. I've never seen those two words next to each other. Action surgeon, what is that? Yeah, you know, so it's yeah. it's, it's very intriguing. interesting. Yeah, it it really does a good job of like kind of sucking you in. And then there's the fun kind of like all oh, these minions aren't very smart. They have their brains in a backpack. You know, like okay, this is crazy, but it it's it's doing a great job. And uh, I think uh, uh, this really ought to be interesting to see how this unfolds. I agree. Let's move on to talk about The Immortal Hulk, number 38 from Marvel, written by Al Ewing, art by Joe Bennett. In this issue, the leader is dominating the Hulk and all of his allies. He is in the Hulk's mindscape and controlling things from the outside. Uh, When a rogue element comes in and turns around the balance of power, Pete, I know you've been down on this book, but this issue... By the end, like in the right way, personally, I was like, what the fuck is happening here? Oh, this is great. This is really great. Um, uh, You know, you got a lot of the kind of horror aspects that's been happening, but this like really gets into kind of the story and action. Uh, I was I'm very happy with this issue. It's really impressive. Very cool. it's a, it's got a lot of twists and reveals, but man, it's it's glorious. It really is a great issue of of comic book. 
Yeah, it's still horrifying, everything that's going on and the visuals that Joe Bennett draws, but everything that Al Ewing has been building up over the past 38 issues is really finally coming to crest here. Um, It feels like the leader is probably the sub-villain that we need to deal with in this run, but it's still such a good leader story and it's such a good Hulk family story that it feels dangerous in the right way. Just great. Gross. It's really, it's really impressive how this book has grown and changed and done so many different things. It's, it's really, you know, I can't imagine the pitch meeting for this fucking thing. Okay. So get this. Uh, (laughs) Rick is very Hulk. Yeah. yeah, Rick is long and he kind of bends a we- in a weird way. <laughs> yeah. And that's it's the, the grossest neck you've ever seen. It's just, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. Uh, yeah, a great book. Uh, moving on to the True Lives of the Fabulous Killjoys, National Anthem Number 1 from Dark Horse Comic Story by Gerard Way and Sean Simon, art by Leonardo Romero. If you've never read this book, this is basically about a bunch of folks. It's sort of like an extrapolation of, what was the movie, uh, Them? The Kurt Russell movie where he puts on this no uh, Roddy 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 Piper puts on the sunglasses and can see the truth about the world. It's yep. essentially that, but in comic book form. And here they've beaten the bad guys. They have won as far as they know, and then things start to go horribly wrong from there. Um, really good book. I like this. It felt. It's esoteric and strange as most of Gerard Way's stuff is. If you read his Doom Patrol, if you read Umbrella Academy, uh, but it still feels very prescient and timely in terms of the storytelling, um, which I like quite a bit. Yeah, it's really impressive. The art and the storytelling is uh, gorgeous and and fantastic and really moves. The story very, it moves through this kind of crazy world and you're kind of, really piecing it together but it's it's very unique and just when you think you got a handle on it it just kind of surprises you again and i love all the different groups that they kind of break down in the middle of it it's yeah i I think this is a great issue that really kind of gets you excited for more in this world it really sets things up and gets you wanting more i i think it's a great first issue And I think you could understand it even if you haven't read the first series. You could jump right in here and go ahead with it. Obviously, you're going to have a richer experience, uh, but it's good stuff regardless. Next up, this is what we talked about on the live show a little bit. Dark Knight's Death Metal number four from DC Comics. Written by Scott Snyder, art by Greg Capullo. Uh, wild stuff happening in this issue. This is bringing together a bunch of the one-shots and miniseries that have been running along. We find out what's been going on with the Flash team. We find out what's been going on with Wonder Woman, Batman, and Superman as they sink deeper into the crisis dark multiverses. Uh, and and it, uh, things... Yeah, Pete. It still starts with uh, Uncle Rock in this one, but, you know... Sergeant Rock, yeah. Rock, Sergeant Rock. You yeah, call, yeah, him call him Uncle, Uncle Rock. Uncle Rock. Because, yeah, I call him Uncle yeah. Rock. <laughs> That's right. what he calls himself well, he, in this, which is a funny moment. He married your aunt. So. Yeah, yeah, that's how that technically works. You're you're right, but yeah, I mean, this yes. is just uh, amazing art, over the top fun. Uh, the the dark side in that chair is unbelievable. It's like a 
Green Lantern's ring chair. So that means the Green Lantern has to sit there and keep thinking about the size and weight of that chair. That's a very intense little thing that doesn't get much attention. I, I, it's just they're killing this. This is just so much fun. Each one of these books is really fun to see what mashups of characters they're going to use and how crazy it's going to look. And it hasn't disappointed yet. This entire book feels like the dialogue break in a metal song. <laughs> somebody's like, and then Superman sunk into a pit of fire as Darkseid watched. Yeah. The whole thing. It's just, it's absolutely really ludicrous. The whole thing is crazy. We talked about it on the show, but it ends with... The uh, Darkest Night, a.k.a. Batman Who Laughs, winning, turning the universe into the last 52, a bunch of dark multiverses. Uh, and it's only going to go from there. It's just, who knows how they're going to win, uh, but it's it's funny for the insanely high stakes that it's just, honestly, just fun the entire yeah, time. it really is. You know? Uh, let's move on to something that's a little bit grimmer, but in the right way. Stealth number six from Image Comics, written by Mike Costa and art by Nate Belgard. We've been loving this series on the show. Yeah, it's too bad uh, Justin didn't want to talk about this book. Uh, he he got out of here. He was like, no thanks, don't want to talk about stealth. Yeah, he was like, listen guys, I love stealth. I said it was my pick, but I'd rather watch a football game right now, so fuck all y'all. <laughs> I don't think that's what's happening. Uh, but the end of stealth, uh, we got the, uh, if you haven't been reading the book, it's about a guy who's in sort of a all-powerful armor, dark hawk type thing, who also may or may not have dementia. He's been fighting against a guy called the Dead Hand who can kill people by touching them with his hand. Uh, everything is revealed in this issue. They loop everything back. We finish it up. This is the end of the miniseries. How'd you think about What'd you think about the conclusion, Pete? I was really impressed with this. Like this kind of started and it was like, wait, what's happening? I love the story. I love the action. The art's unbelievable. But I was kind of like, ah, but man, does this all come together in such an amazing way? Uh, this is, it's one of those books where you read it and at the end you're like, ah, I want to go back and read it all over again. It's really great, really impressive, and you know I can't compliment the uh, the art enough. In a surprising way, too, it's nothing that I think you could have predicted from the first yeah. five issues, but it makes total sense at the same time when it's explained, which is a difficult feat to... Uh, go through past, yeah, off, especially us. Like, we've read so many comics, you know, it's hard to to surprise us. And this really did a great job of that. This is a great miniseries, definitely pick it up when it's in trade or individual issues. Next up, The Vein, number one from Oni Press, written by Elliot Rahal, illustrated by Emily Pearson. Uh, this is about a bunch of vampires around the turn of World War II who are robbing blood banks. Get yeah. it. You see what they're doing uh, there? And uh, when uh, war breaks out with the Nazis and then everything changes, uh, I was very surprised and impressed by this book. I thought this was a really fun concept. The characters were good. Um, I liked how the world was laid out. And there's a good, nice twist at the end. How'd you feel, Pete? Yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was very cool, kind of like bank heist, but they're robbing a blood bank and also like fun, kind of like 
the way the vampires kind of handle the crowd and, and fuck with them a little bit. Very enjoyable. And what's also nice is even the undead are like, you know what's really fucked up? Nazis, man. Racism is awful. I'm a fucking undead vampire, but I know this is wrong. So let's go end this. That was great. It's it's a little shaggy in terms of that because it feels like, okay, the concept is bank robbing vampires. I get it. Right. And then next issue, it's going to be like, okay, it's vampires fighting Nazis. I get it. So I'm wondering if it's going to change every single issue and that's going to be the rhythm of the book um, or if it is something else. Uh, whatever it is, I'm definitely on board. I had a fun time reading this. I think it's yeah. a fun take on vampires. And like I said, the character's good. So definitely willing to follow it. And Emily Pearson's character designs are very good as well. Yeah. Uh, next up, The Avengers, number 37 from Marvel, written by Jason Aaron, art by Javier Garan. Uh, this is kicking off the end of the Age of Conchu. Yes, uh, the Age of Conchu. And this is the finale. Line. Yeah. This is the finale. Uh, so Khonshu, who is the god of Moon Knight, has taken the powers of the rest of the Avengers. This issue, they're fighting back, as well as Moon Knight, who now has the Phoenix powers fighting back. Uh, this is playing with toys in the best sense of the phrase. I well, think. yeah, and that's a great way to put it, because you do have like a super baby here who is like, yo, give me back my toys. So that that was well, kind of well put there. But yeah, this is uh, fantastic art, and it it's kind of reminds me of Snyder's just over the top fun, where like a lot of different characters are getting getting to play with different powers and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, it's I think this is a great kind of like finale, and it's cool this kind of see somebody get powered up like this, and then kind of like you know spoiler, but uh, you know depowered and where those powers go. So it's just. It's, again, uh, a writer and artist having a lot of fun with the different kind of powers and different perspectives. So, yeah, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was, you know, uh, it didn't it wasn't a huge kind of like event. It was just kind of big enough. And uh, I thought it was great. Yeah, it's uh, it's playground rules, right? Like, yeah. It's it feels like every page and I say this in the best sense because it's fun to read, but it's the sort of thing where somebody's like, oh, yeah, you're going to attack my pyramid. Well, my wolfmen and my mummies <laughs> are going to attack you. And they're like, fine. Yeah. Well, now I have the iron fist. Kabow, kabow. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, yeah. that's great. Like, there's not enough of that in comics where it just feels like people playing and having fun. It all has to mean something and it all has to lead to the next thing. This is the sort of thing where it's like, and I'm probably misremembering this, where She-Hulk could very briefly get the Iron Fist, and it has no bearing on anything whatsoever <laughs> other than a fun yeah. splash page that they draw. And that's exactly. fine. You know? Yeah. It's refreshing to read something like that. Uh, here's another thing that is almost the opposite, where it's fun, but everything means something. Once in Future, number 12, for Boom Studios, written by Kara Gillen, art by Dan Mora. Pete, I know you love this series. This is wrapping up the Beowulf arc with some, I think, textually pretty big revelations for the mythology of the book. As teased to us by Kieran Gillen when uh, we chatted with him a couple of weeks back, uh, how'd you feel about this one? This is just continues to be one of my favorite things on the stands. Art is unbelievable. You have these 
unbelievable monsters, these great kind of stories and fables intertwined here. And then you just got one badass grandma who's not going to take shit from nobody. And this is just such a glorious comic book that is worth your time and money. And it is, it's entertaining. It's smart. It's touching. It's, you know, stories that you've kind of known, uh, that kind of are told in this new kind of, uh, messed up way. And it's very, very enjoyable. Yeah. Dan Moore's art and character designs and monster designs in particular are so good across the board, but this is definitely, this issue is Kieran Gillen doing his Kieran Gillen thing. And, Wrapping stories together, figuring out how they fit together, figuring out how the mythology of England as an entity fits together. It's fascinating to read, but it's nowhere near as dense as, say, Die, for example. Yeah. Um, but just good, good stuff and so much fun to read. Uh, let's oh. move on to an anthology, DC The Doom to the Dam, number one from DC Comics, written by John Arcudi, Saladin Ahmed, Kenny Porter, Amanda Dybert, Mark Wolfman, Amadio Torturo, Alyssa Wong, Brandon Thomas, Travis Moore, and Garth Ennis. Art by Mike Perkins, Leonardo Manco, Riley Rosmo, Daniel Semperi, Tom Mandrake, Max Fumera, Dominic Domo, Stanton, Baltimore Rivas, Travis Moore, and PJ. Holden, as you can probably guess from how I introduced it, as well as the lineup. This is a series of short stories teaming up DC Comics characters in spooky situations. As usual, how'd you feel about this one, Pete? And were there any stories that jumped out to you? Yeah, this was a really nice collection. I had a lot of fun with this. I mean, the Batman versus the kind of monster in the mirror. This is great. This is what I want Halloween comics to be like, right? I want to see heroes taking on the kind of monsters. And this is the classic, like, you know, if you say a name in the mirror three times, you know. So it was cool to see that. The Raven Wonder Woman story was great. I'm a sucker for a Grundy story. Uh, I love the look of Superman in that one story. I thought, like, he really looked fantastic with the swamp thing. Uh, it was just super fun. I think there was a lot of cool stuff and, uh, even, uh, the green lantern, uh, team up. I enjoyed. Yeah. I like this as well. I mean, if you can't tell from the title, this is riff on brave and the bold, but doomed to the damned instead. So it's a team up oh, book. Boy, I just which, put it together. Huh? Uh, uh, which uh, it gives it a very different flavor from other anthologies. I think it gives it more focus, particularly because yeah. you usually get a non-supernatural character teaming up with a supernatural character. Uh, the best one for me, which you mentioned, is Solid in a Med Story, which I just, I love Batman dealing with the supernatural because yeah. he does it all the time, but he never believes it. He's always like, yeah. mm, scientific explanation for this. I got to figure this one out. Uh, and it's great here. He deals with essentially like a Candyman Beetlejuice type figure, yeah. except in Gotham City. And it's a lot of fun. Uh, but this is a good collection if you want to pick it up. Next up, Redneck, number 28 from Image Comics, written by Donnie Cates. Art by Lisandro yeah. Estheren. Uh, this is a now, title we have not checked out that much, I think. Right, Pete? Well, so this is weird because I saw Redneck and I thought it was Jason Aaron's book called Redneck. And it's not. This is a different kind of Redneck, not what you think because it's about vampires. No, Jason Aaron wrote another book. I don't remember what it's called, but it's not Redneck. Oh, okay. He. No, he's, uh, what is it, uh, Southern Bastards. That's what he wrote. Oh, right, 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 yeah. 
Yes. Uh, I thought, uh, yeah. But anyways, uh, so this is uh, a very kind of the art is real is really fantastic. I love the way they kind of draw the action, um, and a very interesting kind of like tale throughout time here that we're dealing with. And uh, I love the way it kind of ended. Uh, kind of on this uh, cliffhanger for more. I think this is a very interesting book, very kind of unique and creative, and I didn't know what I was getting into, and I was pleasantly surprised. So Donnie talks about this in the end matter a little bit, but it is wild reading the first couple of issues of this book, which I think I read the first couple and I just got away from it for no particular reason, but it was what the title said. It was about a bunch of swamp folks dealing with vampires. I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Rednecks, cool. I'm I'm on it. I get the concept of this book. To here, where we're like Dracula War, which is a very different sort of thing. But uh, Lisandro's art, in particular, is epic throughout the book. It, as you mentioned, it spans through different time periods. I enjoy this quite a bit, and it's certainly the sort of thing that makes me want to be like, okay, I read the first collection. I read this issue. Now I actually need to read what happened in between, uh, because clearly I missed a lot. Mm-hmm. Next up, Amazing Spider-Man number 50 from Marvel, written by Nick Spencer, art by Patrick Gleason. This is Pick It Up right on the last issue, but kick it off a new storyline uh, where we finally learn the identity of Kindred as well as why he has it out for Spider-Man, why he has it out for Norman Osborn, what happens to the Sin Eater. Big things happen in this issue. Spider-Man is in very dire straits. We're definitely going to get into spoilers here. Uh, so, Pete, how would you feel about this reveal? What would you think about this? Cool. <laughs> I mean, when I saw the tombstone reveal, I was like, all right. Well, but so uh, let's walk through this. And this is spoiler right, time. Please. But uh, Kindred pulls up the tombstone. You're supposed to think as a reader, oh, okay, is he Captain Stacy, Gwen Stacy's dad? But he's uh-huh. not. Instead, what Kindred has done is he's pulled up the corpses of Captain Stacy and Gwen Stacy and put them at a dinner table for Spider Man. Classic villain behavior. But it oh, turns yeah. out that Kindred is none other than Harry Osborn. Yeah, at the end, there's another twist where you think, okay, we don't know, here's the reveal of the tombstone, that's who he is, but then at the end, it's like, he's my son. And then you're like, yeah, I don't, again. I don't love that. I feel like we're going to have to do a lot of explanation to... Especially when Spider-Man sits down for that dinner and he sees the two dead people and then he's like, wait, but what what's this got to do with Harry Osborne? You know what I mean? I mean, first of all, indoor dining, very dangerous right now. Second of all, if you ever get in that situation, just be like, "Uh, check, please. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Also, you got to put masks on those corpses. You know what I mean? You can't just. I mean, come on. Absolutely. They're they're inside. Yeah. Yes. Uh, think of the servers, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, this is a good issue. Uh, Nick Spencer is doing an intriguing job of the storyline. But like I said, I think though this fills in a lot of the holes in what's been going on, um, I need to get to how this happened, which I assume is going to happen soon. This seems to be a big storyline. But 
why is Harry Osborne Kidred? What does that mean? How did he become Kidred? Are all big open questions here, but we're just at the beginning of this storyline right now. Next up, another Tom King book, Strange Adventures number six from DC Comics, written by surprise, Tom King, art by Mitch Gerards <laughs> and Evan Doc Shaner. In this issue, as usual, we're jumping back and forth between the planet Ron and what's happening on Earth as Mr. Terrific investigates the death of Adam Strange and Alana's daughter. In this issue, Mr. Terrific and Alana kind of go on a date a little bit and parry and check each other out and sort of probe each other's weaknesses. Uh, ends in a very different, very interesting place. Uh, I like this issue quite a bit, particularly because it made me doubt Alana being the bad guy of this series. How'd you feel about it, Pete? Yeah, yeah. Also, we had a little uh, Seth Meyers sighting, you know, uh, the little talk show clip here. And as we all know, Seth Meyers came on Comic Book Club, you know, big fan of the mm-hmm. show. So, you know, it's nice to see that. But I, it was it, nice to see it finally pay off for him. Yeah, yeah, really nice to see Seth Meyers get his due. You know, poor guy. You know, he works mm-hmm. really hard. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, this is just you know, waiting. You know, each each Tom King book, you get a little bit more information, a little bit more information. You're trying to piece together this whole story. So it's it's unbelievable. Uh, he, this person, Tom King, kills it as a writer. Um, and uh, I'm excited to see how this unfolds and we get a little bit more. And I love the terrific stuff in this. Uh, so, yeah, I can't wait until the final kind of domino falls. I can kind of look back and see what we've done here. I agree. This is definitely a mystery book. Uh, it's going to make you reevaluate everything when we finally get to the end there. But every issue just gorgeous to read and gut wrenching and heartbreaking across the board. Another one, very sad, Marvel Zombies Resurrection number three from Marvel, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, art by Leonard Kirk. Spider-Man is taking Franklin and Valeria to the Galactus Hive to try to find a cure for the zombie virus that has afflicted the Marvel Universe. Things go predictably very, very wrong, including a favorite of Pete's who gets caught in the struggle. Uh, I love the twist that Philip uh, gives to the whole Marvel zombies thing here. It's so smart. So well done. I'm a little hesitant to spoil it. Um, But every issue of this is so dangerous, so harrowing. And it's amazing that he has found a totally different twist on the zombie mythology in the Marvel Universe. How'd you feel, Pete? Yeah, this was really crazy and and, and intense to kind of like uh, have these kind of reveals of kind of like how this all unfolded. Um Love the Galactus stuff. The magic stuff is really cool. Uh, you know, the character that we're not talking about, I was like, all right. But uh, we can talk about him. We can I spoil think it's, it. We've spoiled so much this podcast. It's, uh, it's, this continues to be a really fun book. And if you would have said, it's okay, Wolverine, Wolverines, <laughs> Wolverine. Um, but yeah, I mean, you would think like, okay, Marvel zombies. All right. How long are we doing this? But, uh, this is, uh, really is a fresh take on it and it's very enjoyable. 
I agree. Uh, I'm very nervous, concerned about what will happen at the last issue when we get to that. Yeah. Moving on to Seven Secrets, number three from Boom Studios, written by Tom Taylor, illustrated by Danielle DiDicolo. This issue, we're following who we still think is our main character, but we're not 100% sure, as they go on a mission to become the new secret keeper for this organization. Still don't know what the secrets are. Still don't know what's going on. Yeah. We just know somebody evil is gunning straight for them. Another great issue of this book as they, Tom and company, continue to build out the mythology. How'd you feel, Pete? Yeah, I like this. Um, again, we kind of don't know. I mean, if I'm risking my life over a briefcase, I'm going to take a peek. But I think that this is uh, very creative in the way that it kind of like tells the story as it unfolds and the touching like 15 gifts from the father for the 15 years he wasn't there. That got me. That got me a little bit. That was pretty awesome. I, I've I've been really impressed with the characters in the book and their story and kind of how this is all moving forward. A lot of great action. Um, yeah, this this continues to impress. Yeah, great book. And Daniel DeNicolo's art is also real good. It's very anime, excuse me, manga inspired. Yeah. Uh, but it feels uh, and the it feels mustache like a halfway guy. point. Reminds me of uh, the guy from uh, Voltron, the new Voltron. So. Interesting. I don't know what you're yeah. talking about, but I appreciate it regardless. Before we wrap up here, let's do it. Let's get into the X slash Ten of Swords block. Three issues out this week. Hellions number five, written by Zeb Wells and art by Carmen Carnero. New Mutants number 13, written by Ed Pryson and art by Rob Rice. Cable number five, written by Jerry Dugan and art by Phil Noto. Versus last week, where we got a little more of an overarching story. Each one of these is very much its own thing. In Hellions, we get that team heading off into Otherworld to basically cheat the whole sword contest that's going on by stealing Arako's swords in New Mutants. Another, we find out how Cypher is dealing with the fact that he's supposed to be a sword bearer. Answer is not very well. And in Cable, he is dealing with a sword of his own. Uh, when last we left him, he was with Cyclops and Jean Grey on sword, the actual uh, space station, the people. Uh, and we find out what happened to them uh, and what happens next. Uh, this is great. I was a little worried that this crossover was going to be just one thing after another, just following up on it. But I love that each one of these is individual interweaving stories. And I thought each of these issues was a ton of fun all on its own. Pete, I know you liked last week's issues. How'd you feel about this one's? I did. I really liked the break from the stacking insane idea on top of insane idea and like here we're just gonna have like a showdown you bring your best we'll bring our best bring a sword let's settle this uh but this gets a little derailed by you know the lollipop guild where they sit around a table and make insane decisions like hey you know we're gonna do this big battle to the death but why don't we cheat right because we're on our own island and we're not playing by any rules. So fuck it. Let's just cheat and just throw a wrench in the whole fucking thing. So uh, this is in Hellions, by the way, just to clarify what's going yeah. on here. I love this issue. Zeb Wells writes the crap out of these characters. His empath is such a horrible asshole in a hilarious way. Mr. Sinister 
is great. The cape bit is just glorious. It's really Oh my fun. god, so funny. Just it's a funny book and I appreciate that in the middle of this like it's particularly coming off of I think the last issue was Storm being like I need to potentially destroy my relationship with my husband because it's the end of the world and I need to invade Wakanda. And then this issue Mr. Sinister is like wrestling with a horse. Most of the issue <laughs> is great. Like that you could have these different tones of this world is so much fun. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, And then, of course, there's New Mutants, which is, I think, one of the greatest issues of all time that really just really digs in on Cypher as a character, one of the greatest characters of all time, gives him his due in the sun, shows up what's going on with Warlock, trains him with Ilyana, uh, plays on his insecurities, but in the right way, and fleshes out his relationship with Krakoa. Just a great issue across the board. And I know I'm using a sarcastic voice, but I also actually think that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The art in this book is glorious. Uh, The Krakoa, you know, trying to stop him and talk to him. But like, if something happens to you, I won't be able to. It's I I thought that was great. Um, But at this point, I'm like, okay, guys, a lot of build up to the sword fight. Can we get to this goddamn sword fight? Like, do I got to sit there and see everybody's origin story? How they got their sword? There's ten swords. They're not even halfway through. They'll get halfway through. They'll have all the swords, and then they'll have a bunch of fights. Yep. Come on. Uh, Hopefully, and Cable also fun with like some uh, terrifying, weird alien enemies. Uh, That was super fun as well. Just a fun month across the board, right, Pete? Sure. Yeah. What a month. What a year. Everybody's having a blast. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. Yeah. I just ordered a shirt online, actually, that said 2020, having a blast. Oh, man. Yeah. I it, mean, I'll look forward to hopefully this getting to the fight. Um, just, I don't know. I think the uh, last month with the three titles or last week, whatever it was, I thought was uh, better. Uh, getting me hyped for this thing. But after this week, I'm kind of like, all right, get me there already. Um, you know, but, you know, hey, people like r- reading stuff in between their comic book pages, apparently, because, man, they're <laughs> doubling the fuck down on that. Oh my and gosh. at this point, right. I'm just well, refusing I, I to like do it. I like these quite a bit. I had a fun time this week, and I'm glad we read all three of them. Yeah, did you like you... reading about the sword instead of seeing it, just reading about like how much it weighs and that kind of stuff? You know what they say, do bring an essay to a sword fight. Ah, right, right. If you'd like to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. We sure Crowdcast do. and YouTube. Come hang out and check it out. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show. At Comic Book Live for this pod, uh, you can, I don't know, socially or whatever. ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the virtual comic book shop.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.